Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for a super Saturday of cycling. This show, as always, is presented by Zwift. LR here with Benji. We've got Tour de France Famavix with Stage 7, one of the hardest mountain stages I've ever seen in Women's World Tour. Classico San Sebastian. We'll talk about Remco Vuelta. Is he going to win? As well as quick wrap-up of Tour de Polonia uh, first stage. Uh, but I cannot find my camera battery charger, FYI, if you're watching on YouTube. Um, I probably put it in Benji's bag in Paris, so we're rolling with the <laughs> MacBook Pro's uh webcam which are notoriously awful anyway huge stage in tour de france fan of x with for gc from celestat to the markstein 127 k's long three cat ones uh petit ballon which is 10 k's eight percent descent straight into plaza vasel seven k's eight percent that is incredibly hard combination of climbs and then descent plus valley of around mm, 30, 35 Ks for Grand Ballon, 14 Ks, 6.5 to 7%. And then like a plateau, sort of little descent and plateau of 8 Ks at the end. Really, really hard stage. We had Mariana Voss in the the lead on GC, but uh, she, yeah, she wasn't going to keep the jersey. And Nuvia Doma and Longa Borghini were on 30, 35. Volering was on 111. Van Vlunt was on 128. So she was not that far behind. She didn't need to go too early um but she did we haven't seen it uh coverage started just at the base i think early slopes of the second climb plots of arsenal but according to live stats i think she just attacked and only volering could go with her but have you what was curious benji and i was talking her up yesterday so much mulman was in the gruppetto immediately have you seen anything about that I haven't seen the reasoning for it. I also know that Royster didn't start today's stage after having a concussion yesterday. So as D-Works was starting this stage a bit, yeah, injured in that sense. So Volring, Molman were the riders we'd expect something of. But you're right, Molman was one of the first to drop on today's stage when it comes to the GC riders, let's say. So definitely not our best day, quite certainly. And it's a, it's a weird thing because the last two stages we saw Demi Volring riding in stages were on like the first part of a gravel section for example and so forth so i was starting to question okay are they riding all out for Mormon? but that doesn't make sense because they're both saying they're leaders we couldn't figure out who the leader was but today it became very clear very early on who the leader was i will add there was a, a significant group up the road before we started the petit ballon climb the first climb of the day and that group had riders like Balsamo and so forth. Basically, teams were trying to pull riders forward just in the same way that we mentioned they could yesterday in the in the preview of today's stage. But it all came down to nothing because they came to the bottom of that Petit Ballon climb and Van Vleuten and Volring, according to Iris on the motorbike on, uh, on GCN, said uh, just rode away. They just rode away. And I'm guessing Van Vleuten is the engine behind that attack. I'm guessing Volring is not the one that made the initial move on Petit Ballon because I wouldn't understand why Volring would do so. So no, it couldn't have been. 
Exactly. So the scenario was simple. We saw Van Vleuten up the road together with Volring, and we saw significant gaps already on the Petit Ballon. We're talking about 44 to a minute in, uh, in terms of seconds to a minute. In terms of Longo Borghini's disadvantage to the front of the race, for example, on the Petit Ballon, which is the third rider on the road. Then there's a, a group behind that included some of the other riders like uh, Cecilia Trupludwig and so forth. Then we had Nevi riders Doma, like... Lebu, Persico, Zigart look good on Bike Exchange. Sorry if I've missed anybody. Muzic um, in that group. Sorry to interrupt you, Benji, but yeah, just, and then like another, I think they were at 253 mins and then the Voss group, Gruppetto, Van Dyke group, like seven mins. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad you actually jumped in because I didn't know all the, all the names by heart, but we did see some moves before the coverage started by Volring as well on the descent of the Petit Ballon. It looked like Volring took a slight advantage. So we True. mentioned a few times before that Volring could actually try to do something against Van Vleuten on the descents on stages like this, but you know that when... Van Vleuten can ride relatively in a safe way down the descent. She's not going to be on a minute. And if the climb is coming, she's going to come back anyway. So she came back by the foot of the Platz de Wassel and the race was on with coverage. And that's where we uh, started seeing things. Now, when it comes to the coverage, we mentioned it, I think, in the initial preview we did last year of the parkour that we'd expect Van Vleuten to make a move on the Petit Ballon. 100%. Personally, I think they should expect that and should have coverage from the Petit Ballon onwards. I don't know the financial side of things, but I find it a bit disappointing to not have seen the explosion in this race. That aside, I, yeah, go I, ahead. I have some thoughts on on the coverage. Um, read the coverage. The it's not just a women's cycling thing. Criterium de Dauphiné, Paris Nice, one week race is very prestigious. Also, have about two and a half hours of coverage, and for the most part, that's fine. For the most part. I don't need to see four hours, four and a half hours of the race. It's not a problem. Most of the stages, I don't need to see them. Uh, but I'll start with Criterium de Dauphiné, stage five, 2020. I think weekend multi-mountain stages with early climbs, you, you need to have the full coverage. We never saw yeah. what happened there. And that's the same thing. To be honest, Benji, did we really miss anything by not having full coverage of a lot of the stages this week? I would say no. We got all the gravel sectors. There was the breaks up the road. Um, the breaks were seen on live coverage. They did get their time in the sun, but it wasn't. It was just like a lot of the Paranese Dauphiné stages. But for the weekend stages with early climbs, I think you. That's where you're like, okay, we need to cover that. And I think that's just being aware of the parkour a little bit more. And I don't know if it is possible to flex up like that, but mm -hmm. that's the comment I'd make. It's not just unique to women's cycling, although women's cycling is what has struggled with more live coverage, obviously, compared to men's. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I would say. I agree with that entire point. I think the aspect where I kind of am eh, on the edge when it comes to it's related to women's cycling or not is that in women's cycling, it's more likely that stages like these will open up early if Van Vleuten is at the start line, for example. So that's the one aspect I see to that. But again, exactly. that's the context of the race. That's not necessarily women's or men's cycling. That's the context of the race, the riders in it, and the parkour, and the possibilities that are opened up by that. So I agree that the stages like these, and like that Dauphiné stage you mentioned, and a, quite a few others that we It's the same one every year in the Dauphiné. Yep. Every year that, that one kicks off. Um, and there's also other stages where I'm like, just show me the last 20 minutes. <laughs> like, I'm not interested. Um, but anyway, 
that's enough long coverage. Unfortunately, we get to the Plaza Vasel and and then the race, well, was going to be decided pretty quickly. But before we get to that, I'll mention our show partners with the online cycling platform that makes training fun. Whether you're a World Tour pro like Mark Cavendish or Ashley Moorman or just starting out on your cycling journey, not only can you train and race across nine worlds, including a France world, you can hop on social rides and so make sure you signed up to the LRP Zwift Club via the link down below to stay in the loop when I or Benji are riding during the Tour de France. Fam Avec Swift. If you're not on Swift yet, you can head to Swift.com for a free seven-day trial. But we saw at the base of Plaza Vassal, Van Vleuten surged. Vollering held on. She was looking good. Vollering must have felt okay because she surged at, and took the QM points on top of Petit Ballon. She was like, I feel good enough to sprint. And then about two kilometers from the top, Van Vleuten starts to put in, uh, I don't know, she doesn't even change pace. She just drops that Vollering off the wheel. And that's Tour de France Fam Avec Swift GC over. I agree with that, but I do feel like there was an upping of the pace because we noticed that when Vollering is in the wheel, it's like Von Vleuten just kicks up the watts by, ah, it's not much. It's like 20 watts or something in that moment. And in that moment, that's enough to bring Vollering from the tempo that she can do and can manage to a tempo that she can't manage and a tempo that Von Vleuten can manage for a significant amount of time and instead of doing an actual acceleration and trying to get a gap that way, she's able to create a gap because following can't hold her tempo and gradually build out that gap without overextending. And I think that's something that Van Vleuten does really well on this stage. On the Plaza de Wassel, she did that really well. And at first, I kind of thought, Volering's actually holding this gap quite well. Okay, seven seconds, ten uh... seconds, but... It didn't hold much longer. <laughs> I think, yeah, mentally it's very tough. And Lurton seems mentally able just to do, like her training, I'm not sure if people have followed her training the last three, four years, even when she was back on Mitchelton. And she does crazy training volume, a lot of it solo, a lot of it in Colombia, or I see her, I've seen her regularly in Andorra. And big hours, multi-mountains, and she just sort of went into that mode, it seemed. And yeah, on the I, the only thing that could have stopped her, and we said this before the Tour de France Femme we've started, was a descent crash. That is a weakness, and that didn't happen today, fortunately. Yep. And Volering is stronger on that. And the real... So let's cut to the chase. Van Vleuten rides away and just dominates the race like we expected like there's nothing really to analyze or say she wins the stage 326 ahead of Vollering and uh goes into the GC lead by over three minutes so we'll discuss SD works where they should or shouldn't have tried earlier in a second back in the other group we see Nivea Doma upping the pace constantly she was trying to get away Vollering's ahead Vollering was suffering and losing time to the group they I think Elisa Longo Borghini cost herself maybe the podium today. I need to check yeah. the GC positions um, where she is now. Oh, she's off. She's lost more time. Um, Elisa Longo Borghini sat in no, no woman's land for a long time. And that's important because from the finish line at Le Markstein, uh, the first time they do it, is a long descent and falls flat downhill. And the group had a huge advantage on her there. And even the climbs, the drafting climbs, the Grand Ballon, the draft still matters. And the the plateau finish. And, yeah, I just I just think if she stays with the group and conserves Benji, she never loses that time. Because she gets dropped on the last climb by Nivea Doma, Labu, and uh, Ludwig. I think so as well. Now, when you see the initial climb, when you see the Petit Ballon, she's got a significant advantage on that second group, on that, well, group behind Elisa Longoborghini. 
and the gap is like a minute or even more at a certain point on Petit Ballon and so forth. But once you get to the Plaza de Wassel and the gap stays the same and so forth, and you notice that that valley is coming closer, you you know that it's coming for you. You know that those people are going to have that advantage on the flat, going to have that advantage on the um, pedaling descent, and then it's going to cost you in the end. I think she overextended by being solo in the valley for a for a while, and I agree that Longo Borghini cost herself a few positions in GC. I don't know if it's going to be the podium. I uh, I would have to uh, properly calculate it for that, but certainly a few positions. And I don't know, is it, is it the decision that you can make in the moment and say, okay, I'm going to drop myself back? I think you can, but yes. it's also... It's not like she was where Vollering was. Yeah. Like, true. Vollering's like three minutes ahead, where, okay, even if you blow up, yeah, you're not getting brought back. It's... She was dangling a minute ahead the whole time, and she was only going to start losing it. Like Ludwig and Navidone were conserving, riding their pace. Uh, they had Zigart in the group, but she was 30 minutes back on GC, so she wasn't really, like with Van Vluten gone, she didn't really have an incentive to help. So the group wasn't just flying behind. But yeah, I think I would have waited in the valley. Refueled, you know, fueling's very difficult. We're in uncharted territory here maybe, and make sure she gets enough fueling in that valley. Um, and then, yeah, Nuviudoma takes off. She drops Persico on that last climb and just brings Lebu and Ludwig with her. She's trying to limit the gap to Volering plus gap Longa Borghini, who was five seconds behind her on GC before this stage. I will say Nuviudoma, and this was spoken about in the men's TDF a lot, uh, David Godou, major culprit. I think she spent <laughs> she spent half this week with Jersey fully unzipped. And uh, Bert Blocken spoke about this, the engineer, uh, I think, uh, Leuven University that you actually first of all it's not aerodynamic but second of all which I didn't know he said that you actually get more of a cooling benefit or equal cooling benefit half unzipped and you see Grant really? Thomas doing that a lot apparently okay. keeping the uh, the surface snug to your skin half unzipped is helps cooling just as much or more than fully unzipped with the gap behind and then obviously it's more aerodynamic half unzipped I never knew that um, I'm trusting him on that one. So <laughs> I think Nuvidome was the third strongest rider today behind Vollering, behind Van Vluten. She just couldn't gap Lebu and Ludwig. And Ludwig, I thought, was always going to win that sprint. But um, I'll just do the four results for completeness. Ludwig does win that sprint. Third, uh, 5.16 back. Lebu on four minutes. Nuvidome, a very strong fifth on 5.18. So she just lost two plus four. Six seconds to Ludwig. Persico another minute 30 back so huge gaps with uh, Persico and Longo Borghini in that plateau at the end of the Grand Ballon on 6.56 Zigart really good performance 8th 7.23 Music she was working for Ludwig 8.27 and then Royak is on 10.10 huge gaps uh, there might be some OTLs uh, revised GC Van Vleuten on uh, leading following 3.14 Nuvidoma good gap in third 4.33, it made sense the way she rode, I think, her tempo. And then Lebu, fourth, 5.22. Ludwig, 5.59. Persico, 6.11. So Ludwig, did she lose 90 seconds in a random stage with a puncture or a crash or something in the first three stages? I seem to remember her losing 90 seconds one stage. Yeah, the stage where Cavalli ended up crashing, she, according to the FDG newsletter or whatever you call it, press release afterwards, uh, she actually was involved in a crash while Balsamo did that move with Voss at the front of the race at an intermediate sprint that then uh, led yeah, to Voss winning the stage, if my memory yeah. serves me right. Stage so two, that was right. a stage where where Ludwig lost quite a bit of time. And is that enough to bring her onto the podium? I actually don't know because my math is not crazy today. 
she would be almost equal with Labu, and I think a little bit still behind Nivea Doma. Okay. Because I think, yeah. But shame for her, but she's still fighting, you know, close. I think the podium battle is still live for tomorrow. We still have another hard yes. stage tomorrow. Uh, I guess we haven't congratulated Van Vluten enough. She had gastro or something like that, stomach bug at the start of the week. SD Works didn't put any pressure on her or really or try to specifically target her in GC. I guess their justification was we're not going to beat her anyway, so let's go for a stage win. I guess today kind of supports that argument, unless you think they they could have taken three, four minutes. And no. I, I still I disagree, but uh, that's, I guess the justification, you can't beat her when she's like this anyway. Um, and she, yeah, looks unassailable and does the business. We all expect it. It wasn't like it, it wasn't a thrilling battle on the final climb, but yeah, got her respected. And she, I mean, I think she was worried she might not have the watts because you never know how you recover after sickness. Yeah, for certain. And let's be honest about it. Like the second this parkour came out, everybody was like, okay, Von Vluten is about to destroy everybody by 17 decades on this mountain stage and to be able to actually perform it, to be able to actually pull it off after having that gastro and so forth, there must be some internal pressure or mental pressure before a stage like today to actually pull it off for a rider like that. So Von Vluten's a, a strong rider and proves it once again today. Um, best climber in the, in the women's peloton, as simple as that. And she... um. She's miles ahead of the rest when it comes to stages like this. And I'm, uh, I don't know. I was, I was just about to say, oh, it wouldn't surprise me if she wins again tomorrow, but it could be a breakaway. Who knows? It should be a break or the break should get a good chance. I was thinking of stage design a fair bit today. I don't like, I don't really understand having no cat two climbs for six stages and then three cat one climbs in one stage it seems a bit asymmetrical to me like would it not have been better to have to allow team to be involved to have maybe one cat one petty belong and then maybe volering stays and then a decent valley in between and a longer valley before because the valley was so short before a big break did try to form but it got caught on the climb and then maybe one climb to finish I, I do think there was one too many cat ones today relative to the design of the other stages i somewhat agree with that but i also see the opposite end of the coin i think that the initial thought process behind making this parkour was backloading it so much to make sure that von vleuten can't destroy everybody in the first six stages and i think if you had a, a second cat climb in the first six stages then von vleuten might already have a gap on riders yes Perhaps full ring might hold on, you're right. But I think they tried to make sure that Van Vleuten wouldn't be that far ahead before getting to the final mountain stages. And the only reason that we're now thinking that way is because Volring held on, for example. But let's say Volring doesn't hold on and Van Vleuten rides away on the Petit Ballon, then we'd have the thought process of, okay, she would have destroyed everybody regardless already on that second guide climb a few days ago or not. Yeah, it's a tough one. And how much do you design a race, you know, around one rider rather than just trying to put on the best parkour you think possible as well? You know, it's decided well in advance. Anyway, that was today's stage. Really, really hard stage. Uh, we, we don't know OTLs yet. Tomorrow's stage might be a breakaway. The last stage, 124 kilometers from Lou to La Superplanche de Belfi, which we saw a couple of weeks ago. It's the same finish. Got the graveled finish. Very, very steep. Beforehand, we have a 2.5k, 8% climb. 
and then the Ballon d'Alsace, 9K, 7% is 84Ks in, Descent Valley, and then 7Ks, 8.6% to Superplanche. It's but it's much deeper in the finish, as you know. The 9K, 7% Ballon d'Alsace, that's a pretty hard climb, um, but it's so far from the finish. I really think Ziggart and Faulkner got to go all in for the break tomorrow, and there should be some other riders trying to get in the break. Um, the problem is... I don't know, like who's I think it's I think Mulman's gonna bounce back tomorrow, Benji. Mulman's gonna be right at the front in the break. I bet you uh she's come <laughs> in within the time limit, is what I think. So I I think I think Mulman wins the stage tomorrow. Okay. I'll take your word on that. I think when it comes to tomorrow's stage, we've we've got the aspect to it that it takes a bit before we get to that proper climb that you mentioned not necessarily the final planche de Belfia, but i'm talking about the ballon d'alsace it takes a while to get there you've got the quote des moulières before that which is the uh only real proper climb beforehand so i think there's a, a large amount of time for a breakaway to form 72 kilometers to do so is the gap going to be large enough to make sure that the break wins it we don't know we don't know that but i'd love for the break to win tomorrow although van vleuten in yellow i think she might want to win that as well that might be something she wants to uh get off her checklist or her, uh bucket it's a list lot to ask of her team i don't know i think so but, as well but like that's the risk what if riders are going to be in the breakaway that are currently on 11 for well that's already on like a solid 15 minutes in gc but still like let's say that a message going into the into the breakaway a on 10 minutes for example and she starts hitting the spots of uh, Valkar with Persico on six, for example, and Labu with uh, being on, on four. Will Diazem and Valkar start pacing behind the Muzic and therefore help out a Movistar? Like, I Muzic think in, won't be allowed in the break. Uh, well, we, who's going to control it? Ludwig. Ludwig who's going to control it? Ludwig will stop her. <laughs> Possibly. It's actually possible. But uh, like in general, I think... Um, yeah, Garcia... Like yeah. Mavi Garcia, she should try and get in the break. And then, yeah, you're right, that threatens Valkar. So maybe they'll be a good fight for the break. I, I still think Mormon. Okay, uh, you can go with Mormon. I'm going to go with the white jersey at the moment. If my mouth serves me right, Shirin Valandroy, I want to see her in the breakaway. I want to see her win on Super Plange de Belfi. I think it's very unlikely, but I want to, I want to put a name out there. It's like... There's two names when it comes to youngsters that I'm super hyped about in this race, and that's Van Androy and Castellane on Plan Turpura. Castellane, who's also riding really well, certainly I think top 15 in GC as well, and rode very well at the Hill Classics, if my mind yeah, serves me right. Did. Yes, Nine Foot Flesh, for example, 13 at Amstel. Those are two riders I'm intrigued by, and I want to see how well they do tomorrow. So I'll put those names out there as potential winners, even though I think it's more likely that it's going to be someone completely different, but I'll wing it anyway. In terms of GC, no one should really threaten Van Vleuten. She should win. Same with Vollering. She should keep second, no problem. Nubia Doma will have to defend third. Oh. She, she's on 420. Labu is uh, 49 seconds behind her. Uh, Nubia Doma would have to crack pretty badly. Ludwig's 130 behind Nubia Doma. So Nubia Doma defending third. She has a pretty healthy margin, so I don't expect any changes in the top three. Exactly. And when it comes to the green jersey, Wibbers is out of the range. She abandoned early on in today's stage. Oh, so. True. The danger for Voz is now completely gone if she finishes his race. If she was in the time limit today, because I haven't been able to check so far because we're still in the space where they're finishing. But um, yeah, when it comes to Ibis, she's out. That's a bit unfortunate. I would have hoped she would finish after getting two stage wins, but those stage wins don't disappear if you uh, get out of the race on the final mountain stages. So 
still a wonderful Tour de France run by her. Yeah, it's a shame. I think she needed stitches in her elbow after the crash yesterday, and she got dropped on the flat before the first climb. So not, yeah, obviously wasn't feeling it uh, today. So that was a shame. But yeah, tomorrow, last stage of Tour de France, Femovic Swift. Hopefully it's a big break battle and then some GC action behind on Super Planche. Can't wait to see it. Uh, but now we will move to Donostia San Sebastian Classic Goa, the Classic of San Sebastian, 222 kilometers long, the most prestigious one-day race on the Spanish calendar, obviously in the Basque country. Uh, San Sebastian's beautiful, big uh, cycling culture there and crazy fans. We had lining up at the race, Tare Pogaccia, uh, Remco Evenepoel, who won. This is his, maybe his breakout World Tour win. Aramburu. Uh, uh, who? Alex Aramburu. I didn't realize he was um, it was here. He got second on Mur de Huy last week on Tour de Wallonie. He's like the goat at the moment. <laughs> Tour de Wallonie, <laughs> fuck me. Um, <laughs> man, David Gudu was here apparently. Uh, him and Stora, Jai Hindley. Uh, but yeah, the UAE team was stacked. Pog, Almeida, Ayuso, Bennett, uh, Costa Gibbons, Polance. It's like the Laguelia team but with Pog and, and more resources. Mollema here, who won Lombardia, uh, Nibali, Benote, as well as Dumoulin, Simon Yates, who's done well. Like He's ripping through the points for bike exchange at Castille y Leon. He won that uh, 2.1 two-day race, lovely little points race. And so, yeah, it was a really, really good start list. Made of Butraga, Morich, Gagan Hart, Sivakov, Rodriguez, um, and the parkour is really, really hard. It's got the uh, Uraki climb. It's just steep, irregular, nasty fake news climbs. You know that from the Basque Country. Hayiska Bell, 7.5K is 5.8%. But, but like all the climbing is either 1% or like 8%. Then it's the Erlites. Um, they go down from Ondaribia. It's on the French border. 4K is 10.4%. Foul climb, descent. Then the Murgil Tontorra, which is 2.1K is 9.8% before a descent. The one Honoré crashed on last year. Uh, and then the flat seaside run into San Sebastian. So, like, for example, um, Murgil Tontorra has, I think, a 300-meter section at 16%. And then the starts yep. at 4%. So, Remco... <laughs> I don't know if he was the favourite initially, Benji, but the Quickstep team, like when we saw them riding on the front so much, we you knew like they do that for a reason. Vivaka, Knox present, and he's always seems really good. He's just done a very well publicised training block. Renko always seems to come in hot. His first race out of training, he's firing. Yeah, exactly. And obviously that brings the fear that he might not be firing in a few weeks' time when it's necessary. But we'll talk about that in a in a bit here. When it comes to um this race, we saw that Quickstep was picking it up early. We saw them picking it up on the Icebell climb, putting it really hard up there, putting tempo and one of the first victims was one of the riders that was uh mentioned as one of the favorites for this race, and that's Tade Pogachar. And I don't know, I I've always got a mixed feeling about riders riding after Grand Tours. You never know what you're going to get, whether it's a good rider or a bad rider when it comes to their results in the coming races after a Grand Tour. And today, Pogacar was not having the best of forms because he was dropped on the Yaiskebel climb. And it kind of continued onwards for UAE because while Quickstep was pushing forward, rider by rider was dropping on the Yaiskebel, but we went into the descent afterwards and... While Mohoric was hammering descent like crazy, again, please drone footage. I appreciate it. I want that because that was some 
crazy as ascending. Almeida apparently crashed or got behind. I think PCS reported that Almeida crashed, but I didn't see the crash. And then he came the TV back in said, the valley after. Uh, fall too. Okay, okay, but, okay. But he looks spotless. Yeah. That was a curious thing. Um, he got a new shirt on? I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. I but, think, uh, yeah. sorry, Go just ahead. on the descending point. Do you think the Remco Avonapol ban descending that take is dead? Yeah, I think I think when it comes to descending, he's good. But when it comes to reacting to situations that happen in a descent, for example, let's say you're in a descent and the rider ahead of him makes a move that is a bit unexpected, he might panic for a little bit and then make a mistake. And I, I think that might still exist. I agree. Um, I think he can descend fast, but yeah, it's it's like that Denmark race. If he if he misses, judges a corner, does he react properly? But anyway, get to the uh, the next climb, the Erlitz climb, and we, pretty simple, just like the Tour de France Femme of Exwift stage, Remco just goes on the front. I think <laughs> EF had post with, paced with Kudus or Kaithedo at some point. Remco just goes on the front in the saddle and just paces tempo. He has an initial gap. He's got Simon Yates and uh, maybe C-Rod and... Sivakov with him, the not good C Rod, the Ineos one, and the Spanish national champion one. And Get out of here. Remco <laughs> tests them. It didn't look like a full attack. I was like, oh, what's going on here? And then he just starts riding tempo. Simon Yates on his wheel, and he drops Simon Yates off the wheel, um, which was pretty crazy with like 48Ks to go. It wasn't even, this was not like his Liege attack. He just like literally was riding to a power meter. Yeah, he was not really doing acceleration. He was upping the tempo a tiny bit when moving to the front and only a few limited riders could follow him on that elites climb and i was like okay well this is a uh, pretty crazy and the thing is like it's been an attrition race during the tempo of quick step as well so the amount of riders in his wheel were already relatively limited so the amount of domestiques for riders that are dropped are also limited so it really comes down to the leaders and perhaps teams with multiple leaders like like you mentioned ineos who still had multiple riders there c-rod and also Sivakov. And when you're able to drop them that simply on the Elites climb, knowing that he's got such an engine against riders Ridiculous. 1v1, it's like, when he was gone, I was like, okay, this is over. <laughs> Goodbye, wrap no, up. I stopped, I stopped watching, like, properly. <laughs> I had it on, but because we, the thing about San Sebastian is in between the climbs, there's flat valleys fast. Like between Erlites after the descent to the base of uh, Mergil Tontora, it's like 15Ks flat valley. And even if you've got two teammates, and we did, uh, a group formed behind of Sivakov, Rodriguez, Simon Yates, Teish Benot, one of the riders who was able to carry his form from the tour. Balka Molima was looking very, very good as well. He, well, didn't carry his form from the tour. He had no form of the tour. Now he's looking good. Tom Schoens had looked good as well for Trek Segafredo, but he, gets, he got dropped, but he eventually came top 10. And Rodriguez and uh, Sivakov got a gap on the descent. They Rodriguez is an extremely good descender, and these are technical descents. If you know the Haiskabel descent to Hondarribia, although they've not done that, so the Erlice descent, they're all technical, they're all narrow, and they got a gap on that group. And so the Ineos guys, they're working in the valley one minute behind Avonapol already, and they literally can't do anything. And even on the Tontora, Avonapol just opens it up the last climb. He'd clearly been like riding. He can clearly ride along at 50 Ks an hour on the road bike at not near his threshold on the flat. And he can almost recover in that position where other guys like Sivakov are trying to go full gas on the flat. And he gets to Mergul Tontora and just 
puts another minute into everybody. Crazy performance. Uh, solo, he could have won by two minutes 30 if he wanted to. Eventually, Sivakov does come in solo behind him. Uh, really, really good performance from Sivakov. Yeah, they've yep. just been the Ineos guys at altitude here in Andorra up at the at like 2,400 meters, I think, and he's just already looking in really, really good shape for the welter. The note gets clear of the others third. Rodriguez cracks a little bit. He's caught by uh, Molima, who comes fourth. Simon Yates cracked more, though, even though he's the last man finding, uh, following Avonapol. He comes sixth, still 140 UCI points, uh, 328, and then Schoen's, uh leads over the group behind Skelmos Jensen, Uran, and Rota, and Roger Andrea, who I would... Oh, he has a contract next year, so he won't be transferring anywhere, one would think. But even of all, Benji, crazy. Just Well, it's actually not crazy. It's actually almost routine at this point. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, the way he wins is usually very uh, crazy, but it's also part of his MO, you know? It's part of his cycling, like... When well, it like comes when we to- saw the Viker pacing... No yeah. one was surprised he uh, he was going to uh, go long with 50 exactly. to go. No one was surprised. But they just couldn't react. And we've seen it multiple times now where Remco goes very early on in stages. Like, it was his MO for his entire career so far. And the fact that it's still happening means that it's not solely about surprising the competition anymore. They know that it's coming, but they can't respond because they're not good enough to respond to it. And that's really the factor today. Let's talk about San Sebastian today of Remco versus San Sebastian, the previous one he won, for example. The previous one, I'm saying it, like, he rode away the competition straight up like they underestimated him. Yep. They didn't... Was Scorch there too that day? Yeah. He was on the on the climb and then Remco joined him and they rode together and then Remco dropped him on whatever climb it was, Tontora, I'm not sure. And then eventually Remco won. Like... Remco was underestimated that day. Today, he was not underestimated. He was co-favorite, and he pulled it off, and he destroyed everybody. Liège, he was underestimated too. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, you're right. Today, it's just like, what could anyone do? Like, Simon Yates wasn't taken by surprise. Ineos weren't (laughs) taken by surprise. They just got dropped on our lights. But Liège, there was a little bit like Danny Martinez might might not have even been in the right gear because he dropped his chain reacting to the Avonapol attack. They had Powell's on Avonapol's wheel at the top of Redoud. So, yeah, this was different. That being said, like... (laughs) a lot of different form lines coming into this race. We have a lot of riders coming off the Tour de France, going into some recovery. We have riders coming off altitude camp and heavy training camps before the Vuelta. Some riders will react differently. They need a few races to get into it. Some riders can carry their form well. It it looks like Avonapol can come off training camp, like Norway was the same, and just be absolutely flying. The question is, Benji, can Avonapol carry this form through the Vuelta? And is this performance, what is what does a one-day performance like this even mean for La Vuelta? I think that's a very good question that I don't think many people have an answer on yet. We know that he's done one Grand Tour in his career at Emco Avonapol. That was a Giro d'Italia that he just came back from the heavy injury in his career from. So to use that as the example or the stamp that defines all his ground tours from that point onwards is just unfair to the riders. So I don't think that Giro means that he can't do three weeks at any ground tour in the future. I think that Giro is 
on paper, just a rider that is not well prepared for that Giro was put in a Giro where he was rushed towards and eventually he paid the price for it in the third week and even in the second week already. Now, when it comes to this year's Velta, his preparation has not really been changed despite opportunities for the change arising. For example, in the Tour de France, we had multiple riders that were out. Alaphilippe was out for a quick step in the Giro. Ilan van Wilder was out with his jaw broken or something because of LBL, if my mind serves me right. There were opportunities for Nemco to hop into a different Grand Tour and ride that instead of being rushed to another Grand Tour. But Quickstep decided otherwise. Quickstep decided to leave and stay with the same plan that they initially planned out initially at the start of the year. And I think that's a very good decision. We saw ups and downs in the year when it comes to Remco. We saw LBL being great, for example. We saw Carpena being pretty awful for what we expected from him. Swiss, he had a bad day, for example. Like Swiss was weird. Basque was good, in my opinion. Basque was good. Basque was good. Swiss, yeah, he won the TT. I think Thomas could have beaten him. But, like, yeah, he got destroyed on the climbs. And he can't have been in... It was just weird. Uh, but that whole Tour de Suisse is just weird. Riddle COVID heat wave. <laughs> it's really tough to assess. But yeah. you're right. Carpena is the one that's, you're like, ooh, dropped on the first climb and then did the second one quicker. That's strange. As yes. a reminder to everybody for the Vuelta, the Vuelta is the Tour de France this year. The Vuelta <laughs> has a lot of time trial kilometers. It has a TTT and it has a lot of 6 to 7% or even 5 to 7% mountaintop finishes. There are not too many Rampas in Humanas mountaintop finishes. There's one which is like 3Ks maybe, so the differences could be 30 seconds, not huge. It's actually a very Remco Avenipole favorable course. Uh, in my opinion, the Sierra Nevada finish, yes, that is hard and that is long, but it, they're not doing it to like the moon, which they were trying to do. I think it's like a little <laughs> bit lower now, like 25, yeah. 2700 meters. So, yeah, he could crack on that climb and just lose. And that's the problem. That's what we need to see, Benji. Because it's not like, um, it's not like Jack Haig, for example, who is like, okay, Primoz Roberts in great shape. Cannon will usually drop Jack Haig on Home on a Terry Covadonga. And yes. we can roughly calculate he should put 30 to 60 seconds into Hague. And it, that's what will happen. Same in Torini. Torini, Paranese, the Hague. Even if it was the other end of the spectrum, it's like, will he win the stage <laughs> doing his tour of Norway, Watts? Or will he drop on the second climb of the day, like in Carpena, and lose 10 minutes? Like, that's what we need to see. And it's impossible to know for sure. I would say his whole season's been... Really, I think, preparing for this Vuelta. He's gone and done heat adaptation. I believe he's been training in Alicante. Not entirely sure. Or down in south or south uh, east of Spain. I, I don't expect him to have the same Carpeño problems, but you never know. Like, quick step and not Ineos or Yumbo in terms of, like, fueling and, and that sort of thing for a GC guy. They don't have as much experience in it. But, yeah, what do you expect from Avenipol at the La Vuelta? That's a very good question. I think uh, for that, we kind of need to look at the parkour. Like you mentioned, we've got those bigger climbing stages like the Sierra Nevada. Indeed, it's not up to the moon. It's not up to the moon because I think the biodiversity would be impacted if the riders would go there once uh, every 20 years or something. I don't know. That was the reason that I read at least. But when it comes to the other stages, there's a lot of like hilly parkours where I'm like, okay, this is the kind of stage where Remco would go early. But can he do that in a Grand Tour? That's a very different factor than, for example, in a one-day race. There's also some... There's not that many rampas in Humanas in there, but there's some finishes in there that are perhaps a bit steeper. And 
I don't know. It's just the time trials are the ones where I'm like, okay, he should do very well here. When it comes to the team time trial, I'm also pretty certain that I see a decent time come out of the team of Quickstep in that time trial. I um, when it, let's give like an actual prediction. Like, I think yeah, that at MKU Avenipool, <laughs> I think that at MKU Avenipool is going to win two or three. I'll say two stages. I don't want to. No, but GC, I don't care about stages. Stages nah, of uh, it, that's it that's matters. Quick Step 2019. No, it does. Two stages, and he's gonna get seven in GC. Okay, he's gonna win the he's gonna win the Vuelta pretty easily, I think. Um, Pagach is not doing it. Hindley's it's not in cool conditions. Roglic, we don't know about his status. He seems to be recovering. So yeah, I think Evan Paul should win the Vuelta. Um, he's obviously against Sivakov, Carapaz, Rodriguez, I think. Mass has had issues. The, the start list is a battered start list. That The Vuelta start list in March always looks really, really good. And then we yeah. get to August and we're like, oh, Pagatch's out, Roglic's <laughs> injured. So yeah, I think he wins. Um, wins the he Vuelta. really suits him. Yeah, yeah, he should win. Okay, okay. Who's going <laughs> to... No one's going to beat him. Well, uh, where was Primoz and, and Pogacar at Tour de Suisse? Then again, yeah, it's Tour de Suisse. Where were they at Basque Country? Well, there were some riders of that, but... True, true. Is Martinez going? I'm kind of concerned. He looks like he's getting a little bit better. He might be going. Jagen Hart, I think, will also do well. Mate, uh, Luke Blap, gonna... where was your take? Luke Blap was a better GC rider than MQ Evenepoel. Is that not the case anymore? Is he doing the Vuelta? Yeah, and Carlos Rodriguez as well, even though oh, today he oh, showed okay. that. In that case, yes, Evenepoel second, Plap first. But <laughs> if Plap doesn't do it, then yes, Evenepoel will win. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, just the, the start list, I don't know. He's been peaking for it when others haven't, and it, the start and the parkour is pretty favorable to him. My only concern, well, not my only, but my main concern is... Uh, the quick step team, Alaphilippe being there is really good. Alaphilippe's a really good domestique and committed. The Vikers look good. Favonines, Masnada, Van Wilder. Yeah. It, it's not a bad team. I just worry. I just worry about quick step riding for GC. I worry that Alaphilippe might have certain stages where he eyes himself and therefore might not be riding for Remco on those stages. And like we saw, for example, was it? I think it they work well Basque? together. Ask Remco rode for him. You are right. He let him out. I that's an example, for example. I don't know. Okay. All right. That's our predictions. Benji's got Remco for was it two stage wins and seventh on GC. Yeah. I have him for uh I don't care about stage wins, winning GC. How many stages uh, though? Come on. Oh, at least one. At oh, least one. That's fucking um, boring. <laughs> well, CT probably. <laughs> anyway, I picked him to win GC. Seventh. You think <laughs> What do you think? Matteo Fabra is going to beat him in GC. <laughs> like, I don't know about that. Ethan Hader. Anyway, that's Remco Evenepoel looking good at San Sebastian. What does it mean for stage racing? Who knows? Uh, otherwise, Olaf Coy won his first World Tour race in a sprint at Tour de Pologne. Char- characteristically messy. Um, this big crash, and he beat Bauhaus. Bauhaus seems to be, he's like the Tour de Pologne merchant. And yeah, Coy <laughs> looks good. He had a good lead out from Turnison. The lead outs made a really, really big difference. Cavendish and Others were kept pretty far behind, and it was narrow. It seemed as a little rise seemed impossible to move up. Uh, so, like Corey's lead out came fourth, Turnison, and then Milano, Cantor, Groves, Cavendish, Demar, Tobias, Bayer, tenth, who's low key quick for Alberson to Koenig. Uh, but yeah, good to see Corey win, Benji. Not a surprise to us. Like he's a world tool stage winning sprinter. Yeah, quite certainly. We noticed in the UE today that he was getting closer and closer, and 
I think the one aspect that I'm getting out of the stage as well is that Turnison did really well when it comes to the lead out. We know that Mick van Dijk, I think, has been the lead out in certain cases throughout the year for uh, the sprint of Olaf Koy. He's had stage where he's had no support at all, which was a real shame in my opinion. He should have had more support because he deserves it. He's a top sprinter. And I'm questioning whether... I think I saw a rumor that Turnison was leaving or something, but would he be useful as a lead out for Koy instead? Or is there no opportunity for Koy in Grand Tours at Yumbo? Uh, Giro. I mean, I would send Koy to the Giro with a good good support. I think he can win Giro stages. Uh, Turnison probably doesn't want to be Koy's lead out as his main job at this point in his career. Like, he's won a Tour de France stage and he's won yeah, a Yellow only, what, three years ago. So I think Turnison doesn't want to be in that role, if, if I had to guess. And so... I think they're going to need the Van Dyke brothers or a Feeney or I, w- I would sign someone like Dan McClay from uh, Arkea. I would sign Dan, Dan McClay, pair him with a Feeney, Van Dyke guys, get the unit working well. And um, I think Single Dam's going to Quickstep or, or somewhere else. Um, he would have been um, good, but I like McClay B&B. a little bit more. B&B? I think Kas- okay. Kasper Pedersen was the one rumored right. to replace Merku at Quickstep, but with Merku doing a year mentorship Peterson, yes mentorship we will know if that is actually true once they officially announce the transfers after the august 1st which is pretty soon on monday will we be doing a transfer roundup or something we will do emergency reactions if the carapaz is announced to somewhere we will also do an overall transfer recap um, but we'll announce the August calendar to- on tomorrow's podcast. We've done that up. We're getting professional. Ooh, Welcome. We've got the Tour de France recap spicy. on recording on Monday or Tuesday. Anyway, that's a lot from us today. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, AVV likely to seal the Tour de France fan of with tomorrow. And then we'll be on a little holiday. Until then, ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 